Well, hello and welcome to Truth in Journalism, a radio broadcast dedicated to applying the Word of God to current events. Well, today on Truth in Journalism, we're going to talk about executive orders. Okay, so in case you haven't heard the news, what with gasoline hitting record highs, Russia steamrolling Ukraine, inflation getting so bad that even CNN guests are saying we're in for stagflation and recession, food plants all over the country mysteriously burning, Soviet-esque show trials about the insurrection that followed the totally not worth investigating peaceful protests in the summer of love, and of course all of our emotional hangovers in the aftermath of Dep v. Heard. In case you didn't hear the news, President Joe Biden just signed a new executive order. Which, by the way... Nothing speaks to how we're slowly slipping into empire and losing our republic like presidents pronouncing Caesarean diktats so that the executive branch rules by monarchical and bureaucratic fiat rather than simply executing the law created by the legislature. I know, I know. I'm laboring under the old ideas of a republic being a res publica, a public thing. I know, I know, I'm laboring under the old ideas that federalism means that the federal government only has those powers expressly granted to them in the Constitution, what some might call the enumerated powers. I know, I know, I'm laboring under the old ideas that our mixed Constitution one that embraces localism and regionalism and nationalism, one that embraces democracy, aristocracy, and monarchy, one that embraces the individual and the collective, one that balances the needs of the many with the rights of the one. That's old and outmoded. We have a better, a newer kind of democracy, the kind of democracy where your vote doesn't matter. But hey, what do I know? Um, just a loudmouth fundy rube from the hinterlands. Anyways, if you didn't hear about it, our president signed an executive order. I know, saying that is like saying that yesterday ended in a Y, but this one was discernibly important because this one specifically and directly is addressing and attacking states like Ohio, that's where we live, to overrule and override the laws passed by our state assemblies and signed into law by our state governors. What is this executive order? Well, thank you for asking, imaginary audience member speaking in my head. I shall tell you. But unfortunately, we only have time to read excerpts of this of this executive order. You can and you should go to whitehouse.gov and read the order for yourself. And I'm being serious. Being a good Christian necessarily entails being a good citizen. And in America, that means knowing what's going on when there are major political movements that have moral, uh, significant moral weight. Okay, so I'm going to skip the preamble and I'm going to skip over irrelevant material. So this is edited for length, but but not for meaning. Again, go to whitehouse.gov and read the order, but we're going to start right in the meat. Section 2, addressing harmful and discriminatory legislative attacks on LGBTQI plus children, youth, and families. A, the Secretary of Health and Human Services shall, as appropriate and consistent with applicable law, use the Department of HHS's authorities to protect LGBTQI plus individuals' access to medically necessary care from harmful state and local laws and practices and shall promote the adoption of promising policies and practices to support health equity, including in the area of mental health care for LGBTQI plus youth and adults. B. The Secretary of Education shall, as appropriate and consistent with applicable law, use the Department of Education's authorities to support LGBTQI plus students, their families, educators, and other school personnel targeted by harmful state and local laws and practices and shall promote the adoption of promising policies and practices to support the safety, well-being, and rights of LGBTQI plus students. 
Section 3. Addressing Exposure to So-Called Conversion Therapy A. The Secretary of HHS shall establish an initiative to reduce the risk of youth exposure to so-called conversion therapy. As part of that initiative, the Secretary of HHS shall, as appropriate and consistent with applicable law, I. Consider whether to issue guidance clarifying for HHS programs and services agencies that so-called conversion therapy does not meet criteria for use in federally funded health and human services programs. I.I. Increase public awareness of the harms and risks associated with so-called conversion therapy for LGBTQI plus youth and their families. I.I.I. Increase the availability of technical assistance and training to healthcare and social services providers on evidence-informed promising practices for supporting the health, including mental health, of LGBTQI plus youth and on the dangers of so-called conversion therapy and IV. Seek funding opportunities for providers of evidence-based trauma-informed services to better support survivors of so-called conversion therapy. B. The Federal Trade Commission is encouraged to consider whether so-called conversion therapy constitutes an unfair or deceptive act or practice and to issue such consumer warnings or notices as may be appropriate. C. To address so-called conversion therapy around the world. The Secretary of State shall consider the use of United States foreign assistance programs and the United States voice and vote in multilateral development banks and international development institutions, of which the United States is a shareholder or donor, to take appropriate steps to prevent the use of so-called conversion therapy, as well as to help ensure that United States foreign assistance programs do not use foreign assistance funds for so-called conversion therapy. To further critical data collection, the Secretary of State shall instruct all United States embassies and missions worldwide to submit additional information on the practice and incidents of so-called conversion therapy as part of the country reports on human rights practices. Section 4. Promoting family counseling and support of LGBTQI plus youth as a public health priority of the United States. A. Family counseling support programs are defined for the purposes of this order as voluntary programs in which families and service providers may elect to participate that seek to prevent or reduce behaviors associated with family rejection of LGBTQI plus youth by providing developmentally appropriate support, counseling, or information to parents, families, caregivers, child welfare, and school personnel, or healthcare professionals on how to support an LGBTQI plus youth's safety and well-being. B. The Secretary of HHS shall seek to expand the availability of family counseling and support programs in federally funded health human services and child welfare programs by I. Considering whether to issue guidance regarding the extent to which federal funding under Title uh, 4B and 4E of the Social Security Act 42 U.S. Code Chapter 7 may be used to provide family counseling and support programs. I.I. Considering funding opportunities for programs that implement family counseling and support models. I.I.I. Considering opportunities through the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the National Institutes of Health to increase federal research into the impacts of family rejection and family support on the mental health and long-term well-being of LGBTQI plus individuals and IV, ensuring that HHS data investments, resources, and partnerships related to the CDC Adverse Childhood Experiences Program address the disparities faced by LGBTQI plus children and youth. Okay, so I'm not a lawyer, but I do know how to read. And I also know how to read between the lines. I know how to read between these lines because I've also read Kristen Clark, one of Biden's assistant attorneys general's letter to all the state's attorneys general. 
In that letter, she threatens legal action to states that try to prevent boys from competing against girls or that try to prevent genital mutilation. You should read it, too. You can find it on justice.gov. And it was a press release from March 31. Oh, and I also read other things. I I also read in the Department of HHS, I read their handy-dandy guide to gender-affirming care for young people that came out in March, which you can find on opa.hhs.gov. I can read between the lines because they are telling you openly what they want. They want to federalize gender dysphoria, make genital mutilation a constitutional right, eradicate the rights of parents, eradicate the rights of states, eliminate any last vestiges of objective reality still clinging to our notions of truth, and ultimately to eradicate biological sex as a meaningful category, except for when they need it, but that's another episode. It's clear from this that the federal bureaucracies are getting ready to fight lots and lots of legal battles with the several states who have the courage to say that boys aren't girls and girls aren't boys. I didn't think I'd ever have to say that sentence, but hey, here we are. I mean, it is the current year after all. But while I'm very interested in political theology, I'm more interested in the anthropology of, you know, what what really is behind this at a social level. And I want to say this, that in any issue, there are multiple levels and domains of description. Let's give an example for everyday life. Let's say a man and a woman get married. I mean, golly, look how antiquated I sound. Getting married, man and woman, (laughs) I am a back number, man and woman, getting married, Callie. That is so all of human history ago. But anyways, let's say they get married. Well, there are multiple levels and domains of description. So let's consider levels. They are getting married because they love each other. Okay, so that that's one level of description. And they love each other because they're compatible. And they're compatible in part because they're physically attracted to each other. And they're physically attracted to each other because they're both healthy, normal young people with normal, healthy bodies and libidos. And this normal, healthy youth spurs on a desire to reproduce in their central nervous systems. And this is triggered by various bio and neurochemicals like dopamine, norepinephrine, as well as pheromones which signal attraction to each other. So that the other knows that the feeling is mutual. And we can keep going deeper. We can go on and on. But these these are levels. These are levels of, of reason for why there's, there's love and attraction. We can also go wider. There are different domains of explanation. So levels of explanation keep digging deeper into an issue. And domains keep going wider and looking at other kinds, other categories. There are different domains of explanation for this couple that gets married. They're getting married because they're attracted and compatible. But they're also getting married because they want to raise a family. And because they want to be productive members of society. And because they want to grow in Christ through mutual sanctification. Because they want to save money. Because they want company and want to avoid loneliness. Because, and the list goes on and on. My point in this little theological method lesson is that explanations are complex. Most simple things have complex explanations and most complex things have simple explanations. That's my own little proverb. But the greater point is this, that the trans movement and the governmental appropriation of it is a complex and multifaceted disaster. The trans agenda is not something that can simply be brushed aside because maleness and femaleness are the basic dichotomy in life. You can't just say, well, it's fringe. It might be fringe, But every new thing is fringe until it isn't. And this whole thing is deeply destructive and it's tentacular because this idea impacts almost every other thing in life. It affects everything. 
But to understand where this ideology is coming from and why it so rapidly becomes so pervasive, how a fringe non-issue that was considered and still is considered aberrant by the overwhelming majority of people on Earth, how this issue overnight became the issue. To understand these things, we need to investigate causes. We need to investigate the causes behind this radical and rapidly growing movement. And for our purposes... I think that there is one major explanation, one basic summary explanation that explains all the other explanations. But there are also lower order explanations that are worth knowing and understanding. I call them domains of explanation earlier, and that's how I'd like us to think about them. So there's one highest level explanation. It has the broadest explanatory power, but it's the least descriptive because it's only dealing with the question at the 100,000 foot level. But as we change levels of explanation, we find that there are a whole series of explanations that are different domains that each can provide insight. And so here's what I propose. There is one major or meta explanation for the transgenderism craze. And beneath that, there are seven key domains that I want us to consider. The major explanation is this. The transgender craze is coming from man's rebellion against God. That's the explanation for all bad and evil things. But the natural question is, but Luke, this is a new thing. If the explanation were simply sin, then this shouldn't be a new phenomenon since sin has been around us for, you know, 6,000 years. Yes, but sin does not always operate in the same way throughout different cultures and societies. All societies are different. All cultures are different. Some are in deeper rebellion against God and some are in less deep rebellion. And the history, values, structure, geography, politics, society, law, mythology, and everything else are all components that not only ensure that every culture is different, but that the exact expression of sin is different. Different cultures sin in different ways. And I'd love to talk on this for a long time because this is something our CRT friends don't understand, but that's another issue for another day. It is the unique blend of social structures and traditions in our exact place in history that cause America to look the way it does, including making America sin the way it does. And and this is simple enough when you think about the way a two-year-old and a 22-year-old sin differently. The way a 16-year-old girl sins is different from how a 16-year-old boy sins. You get the point. So what is America's secret blend of history and values that creates the recipe for transgenderism mania? Again, the top-level answer is the sin of the human heart, but that sin is manifested in expressive individualism, the breakdown of the family, the sexual revolution, the abandonment of truth, political expediency, corporate greed, and the ghoulish desire to destroy the image of God. Now, we could go on for a long time adding things to the list, but I think this is the place to start, and this will give us a broad base to understand these different domains. And my hope is that by understanding these domains as causes in their own right, it will allow us to view transgenderism not as some blip on the radar that came out of nowhere, but it's a reasonable and natural outgrowth of the unique cultural situation of America. And by understanding how destructive each of these domains are, we'll be able to understand better how to pray and act against these trends in our culture. So next week, we're going to look at each of these seven causes in turn. We won't have a lot of time, but hopefully in the end, we will feel we understand the issues better and we can think more clearly and combat evil a little more effectively. I hope and pray it will. And I hope you'll join us again next week for another exciting episode of Truth and Journalism. Thank you. And may God bless your day to his glory.